If you could get your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of Scripture out of reverence for God's holy word. Our text this morning is 1 John chapter 4 and the first six verses of that chapter. And I'm going to start one verse earlier in verse 24, chapter 3. The word of God reads, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your spirit that you have given us so that we know these truths, that you've empowered us by way of your spirit to give us discernment and understanding, to know what's right and what's wrong, what truth is from error and what good is from evil. I pray that you give your people an understanding this morning, Lord, from your word by way of your spirit. I pray this in your name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> So if you're joining us today, uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, we are going through the book of 1 John, and uh, it's a good day to pick, not because I'm up here by any means, but it's because we're going to be doing a bit of a review. Um, there's a word that's used three times in our text, and it's a total of 38 times in this epistle. It's the word know. Um, it's a very important word to know of as reading this text. Um, it gives us great discernment of what this text here about how to test the spirits. So, as we get started, there are two different Greek words that John uses for this word know. The first, it's to know in a general sense. It's to gain understanding. It's how we learn. It's how knowledge comes to us by our experience in life. Um, to watch and learn, to hear and learn. When we start a new job or, or if we start a new subject in school, we start off not by generally not being very good at that job or not knowing much of that subject. But as time goes on, we gain knowledge and experience and become more efficient at the job or school that we are in. So our understanding and comprehension comes by our experiencing life through what we see, what we hear, and what we do. So that verbiage is important as we go through our review, and it's the verbiage that John uses. 
Um, knowledge by what we see and hear and experience, okay? It's gaining understanding. The second one, so the second part of that, this is a complete knowledge. This is, this is having a knowledge. Um, this is to have and possess knowledge of something, like, like God knows everything, right? We know we are saved because we've been given eyes to see. Um, we will read in some of the verses that, that we know God. This is um, the scales being removed from our eyes or the veil of understanding being lifted from us. So we know God in a salvific sense. We know for sure that we are saved completely. It's a complete knowledge of that fact. This is not knowledge that we can attain or grow in. It's opposite of the first. Um, you know, we, we cannot gain it for ourselves. This is not grasped by intellect or disciplining ourselves. Uh, to know this um, is a sense of being given eyes to see and ears to hear, amen? Okay, so those are the first two. And then lastly, the second verb, or the second uh, use of the word. This is, this is a cognitive, and that's a fancy word for our mental capacity. This is our understanding, okay? So this is to be aware and understand. This has much to do with our knowledge and view of our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. So this is a fullness of knowledge. Um, simply put, it's, this is the wisdom that comes from our knowledge of the Father and the Son. We now have, by way of the Spirit, intuition of God's truths because we are children of God. So this knowledge that comes from one state of being as a Christian, we now have intuitive, natural, instinctual knowledge in the things of God because of our position in Christ, because of that salvation, okay? So knowledge gained by experience, complete knowledge given by God, and cognitive or mental capacity of knowledge, which is wisdom that comes from salvation and our position of Christ. So those are three things that are important as we go forward in our review, and this will give us great light into how to test the spirits in chapter four. Amen? So if we could open to 1 John 1, um, we're going to start in the beginning. God, uh, uh, John gives us very good context here of the verbiage he uses. It's verbiage that, that he continually uses through this epistle. So chapter 1, verse 1, it reads, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, life which was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. So, John spent three years with Christ. What John, John saw what Jesus did. He heard his teachings, and he witnessed the sacrificial love of the son. It was made known to John what the word of life is and what salvation is by experience. He saw it. He has firsthand knowledge of who Christ is and what it means to follow him. In this epistle, John conveys those truths to us throughout. Okay, so move down to chapter two, verse two. This reads, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. John explains our position here 
where our knowledge comes from, the cognitive mental capacity that we have in Christ. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, if you do not know, it's a, it's a fancy word. Um, it means the appeasing of wrath and gaining the goodwill of God. You have been delivered from trouble, the wrath of God, and the offended party is satisfied with the payment. Now that we are in the goodwill of God and are positioned outside of God's wrath, John then explains how we can practically apply these truths in our lives from here on out, out of that position. So, chapter 2, verse 3 reads, this is where we get into all the no's. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So, what he says here is we can practically know who is saved by watching to see if they live out God's commandments. We can learn and gain knowledge who is saved um, or not by watching the way they live their life and reflect Christ. John is very practical in his approach here. Okay, move down to chapter 2, verse 18. Another set of no's. It says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So here, we see that the Antichrist or apostates are a practical sign, something that we can see and know in our minds, that is the last hour and we're never saved because they walked away from the faith. It was made plain or became clear because of what we experienced by sight. So because of what we saw, their position inside or outside of Christ became clear in our minds, and therefore we can make a judgment based on Scripture and our position in Christ. This is John's approach. Um, move down to verse 29, chapter 2. Another set of a bunch of no's. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the word does not know is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and we will be as he, um, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning 
also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he has appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So we know that God is righteous because it has been revealed to us. We have been given eyes to see. So when we see or experience others doing what is right by, and exhibiting righteousness, we can be sure that they are a child of God, just as John says. The word cannot intellectually come, the world cannot intellectually come to this conclusion. This is not understanding that someone from the world can come into on their own. This discernment is distinctively Christian. It's a Christian perspective. We are God's children now, but are not fully like him yet. We know because of wisdom given to us, when he appears, we will be like him fully. There will be a transformation. No one can see God and live in these fallen bodies, so we will be able to see him in our new body. It is only then there will be physical evidence and be able to see who is of Christ and who is not. But until then, John continues to lay out practical ways that we can see spiritually now. Okay, so now the next few verses John gives us in chapter three, he gives us an applicable and straightforward explanation of seeing spiritually while here on earth. So starting in chapter three, verse six. No one who abides in him or say, no one who dwells in Christ as a child of God keeps on sinning because they have the Holy Spirit, right? They, have, they are sensitive to sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or they, don't, they show that they do not know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. It's very simple, he says. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practical, practice of sinning is the devil, is of the devil, and for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this reason, the Son of God appeared. <clears throat> the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And here it is. By this, it is evident. He's saying it's obvious is another word for evident. By this, it's obvious who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John, again, is speaking from experience and witnessing the life of Christ. Jesus practiced righteousness and loved his children by laying down his life. Sacrificial agape love, beloved. That text will help us greatly when we arrive at chapter 4 and how to test the spirits. Okay, so verse 14 in chapter 3. Another set of no's. So we know, because we are children of God, that we have passed out of death into life because we love others. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John lays it out plainly here. Hate, bitterness, resentment have no place in the Christian life or in the Christian faith. Repentance and forgiveness is the true mark of a man or woman of faith. Sacrificial love is the defining characteristic of a Christian. If we hold on to hate, 
it will follow us directly to hell. Forgive as you have been forgiven by Christ. You can never match how much you have been forgiven in comparison to the Lord. Let it define you, beloved. Let it define you, Christian. Okay, verse 16, chapter 3. By this we know, we can experience love, we can, we, we can see and hear it. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is how we gain greater understanding of love and come to know what love is. By laying down our lives and living to serve the beloved or brothers. To learn to love better, we must have a low view of self and a high view of God. Turn with me to to Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. Philippians 2. The word God reads, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full of being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So we must look to Christ's example to better understand how to love and what he has given us. We are commanded not to be selfish, to be humble, and consider others more important than ourselves, to to look at the needs of others instead of our own. Christ emptied himself for us. He took the form of a servant and humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. Therefore, he was exalted above every name. Now we must obey and work out our faith with fear and trembling. Love is selfless, beloved. It's selfless. This is the example Christ gave us. We know love because of Christ 
we must be careful not to defame it. Little, and then in, in verse 18, back in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, this is the last set of no's before we arrive at our text. Starting in verse 18, chapter 3, it says, Little children, let us not love, the, love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this, referring to loving and deeding truth, by this, we shall know, we shall experience and see that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. That's the complete knowing. God knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because Why? We keep his commandments and do what pleases him and not ourselves. And, th and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we experience, we know, we can see that he abides in us by, by the spirit in whom he has given us. So as we show sacrificial love to others, we love in deed and truth, as we are commanded. It is not just lip service, a love that is just of words or talk. That love is hypocritical, and it crumbles at the first sign of testing. In verse 19, we, by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Again, we are gaining a greater understanding of love as we bear the fruit of our faith. We gain understanding by doing that. As we live out our faith in obeying God's command to love, it reassures our hearts of who we are in Christ. We confirm the truth of the word in us when we live out a sacrificial love. Beloved, if we remember the words of Christ, what is the greatest commandment? When someone asked him in Matthew 22, it says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is just like it. That's the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is not a new commandment to love. If we don't understand the first and what God and what Christ just said, we surely understand the second. Who doesn't love themselves? Right? He commands us, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who doesn't want the best for themselves at all times? Is it just me? I I I like it. As fallen beings, which one of us thinks we don't deserve these hardships or trials. We don't deserve this. If we are honest with ourselves, we all want, we all want to be happy. We wouldn't mind if, if people catered to our needs a bit. We don't mind that. But if we turn around and focus that on others, the care we take to love ourselves need to be applied to those around us. We tend to think about ourselves quite often and what we need to do is not to be self 
focused, but others focused. Showing the love of God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, first to God and then towards the brothers and sisters in Christ. So why do our hearts need to be reassured? Why does it condemn us as it says in 1 John chapter 3? Let me, let me remind you what Jeremiah 17 says is the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In verse 20, it says, we know that, that our hearts condemn us and we need to be reassured. We are, we are reassured that God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything, a complete knowledge. God knows our position in Christ and our intentions. And thank God, he also gives us more grace than we give ourselves. Our hearts continually condemn us, but God knows our intentions and our hearts, and he gives us grace when we can't give it to ourselves. This knowledge that he has of us, of our salvation, is complete. God completely knows our state. He has this knowledge and does not need to learn more about it. He cannot learn more about it because he created it. It's not like our knowledge where we constantly are gaining more information. God knows your heart. And he knows if you're obeying his commands to love. Then we can rest in the assurance that God has given us by way of the Spirit. One of the best indicators, beloved, of salvation and the Holy Spirit is conviction of sin. Having godly sorrow over sin, seeking restoration from the Father, and repenting of sin is the mark of a saint who loves the Lord. Remember what John said just back in chapter one. If we confess our sins, what does he do? He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But on the other hand, the flip side of that same coin, saying that you have no sin and having no conviction of sin is one of the best indicators that you are not in Christ. Because in verse 8 of chapter 1, right before that verse, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in, verse, in two verses later, verse 10, it says, if we say we have not sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So all that to say is what we know as Christians, as believers in Christ, it's substantial. What John has communicated in this epistle is our knowledge that comes from our position in Christ by way of the Spirit. We know that we have salvation because of the works of Christ and by the grace of God. He has given us life and opened our eyes. We are also indwelt by the Spirit. This is the same Spirit Christ had, and it gives us much knowledge. We now have a natural intuition and knowledge that comes from our relationship to God, and we can now discern truth from error. The way we discern is by seeing the, the brethren obey God's commands and by loving one another. It's very simple. John just laid all of that out for us. We can experience the substance of our faith and others by living out the salvation within us. Our salvation is complete. We have wisdom because of that salvation, and we can practically see who is saved by their obedience to that salvation, okay? Hopefully that is all clear because that brings us to chapter four. And let's read the first three verses. 
It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So first John qualifies what spirits are from God and which are not. These are not spirits, and, and there's, there's a lot of misconception here. These are not spirits floating around like goats. It's not the spirits we're testing. Um, this command has nothing to do with demons or, or exorcisms. He is talking about testing and knowing what type of spirit possesses a man. There are only two camps, spirits that are of Satan or the Holy Spirit that is from God. There is no middle ground. There are no believers that are, that are kind of or sort of believers. To be on the fence is a clear answer that you are not in Christ. Now, with the church being new at this time when John was writing this epistle, many people abuse the name of Christ to serve their misunderstood or misconstrued doctrines and therefore led people in error. So Satan can easily seduce those who have a half profession of faith in order to defame the name of Christ and hinder the gospel from going forth, especially in the time of this church now. So when people get confused about all the different churches that are out there, and confused about which gospel is true, that is exactly where Satan wants them to be in confusion. So when they do not know where to turn for the actual truth, they end up leaving any type of religion behind, afraid that they'll get caught up in some kind of error. So what do they do? They leave the light and casting themselves into darkness. Is, isn't Satan clever? From the start of the gospel, there have been false prophets who turn people aside. People who do not have the truth speaking as if they did have it. What makes this so hard to discern, beloved, is that they fully believe what they're saying is true. So how do you, how do you know? They are sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. So as John instructs us here, do not believe every spirit. We must see if what they are saying is true. We would be foolish to believe someone claiming to be a prophet of God without looking to, in, into who they are and what they are saying. Not every kind of person should be believed. What do we call a person who does not live out or display what they profess? The hypocrite. We need to find out who is and who is not. This is what the text is telling us to do. Now, how do we test to see if someone is from God or not? We say, if we, if we answer by the word of God, that, that's true. But it, but it is only part of the answer. We must also have the spirit of wisdom in our hearts to be able to use the word of God properly. We must have the spirit in addition to the word. The word of God is of little use or no use unless it is revealed to us by way of the spirit. We must have wisdom from the Spirit to give us insight into what the Word of God says. For example, it would be like building a house. 
even if we had all the proper materials and all the tools laid out perfectly for us to complete the job, what good would any of those tools and materials be if we don't know how to build a house? We would try, but what would happen to the house? It would, it would fall if you don't know what you're doing. So this word test that, that John uses in, in verse one here, this is a testing that comes from, from metals. Uh, that, that's the type of word he's using here is, is to know what's true and false to see if, if metal is real or fake and determine its purity and its value. We must, so we, we have all heard of, of the term fool's gold. Um, how do you determine real gold from fool's gold? It's, it's a testing of the metal to see what's true and what's false. So those who are experienced in this area, if you're a geologist or perhaps a miner, uh, you, can, you can tell just by looking at it. You're, you have experience in this area. So, um, but it's not always clear, so further investigation and further tests were created to discern between the two. The same goes with testing the spirits, beloved. Testing what's true and testing what's false. Is God, if God is calling us to test and judge the spirit of a man, he will never leave us without the spirit of wisdom to direct us. But the spirit will only guide us, don't miss this, it will only guide us in the right direction when we make our thoughts subject to God's holy word. True doctrine cannot come from the word of God. Uh, I'm sorry. True, do true doctrine can only come from the word of God, not the mind of a man. It has to come from scripture. That is why we are subject to the word of God and can never form opinions that are outside of it when it comes to biblical truth. We must always ask for discernment and wisdom from the Lord. Then by way of the spirit, he will give us that wisdom when we seek it out in his word. They work in coexistence with one another. We gain experience in testing spirits in this area the more we do it. This is a knowledge that we can grow in over time. We are called to do it continually. If we trust everything that is labeled Christian, like in Christian bookstores, um, the radio, TV, you will be a prime target, beloved. You will be a prime target for deception. Satan is, is, is very cunning and disguises the lies with truth. He is subtle, and, and error eventually gets into the church when we are not careful. We always have to be on guard, testing all spirits continually. These days, many people say that they are Christian or a follower of Christ. Uh, sometimes we can tell just by looking at them, like fool's gold, that they are not what they claim. Right? It's apparent in their life. All that glitters is not gold, beloved. We can determine if that is true or not by doing a simple examination of their life and character. John was defending the gospel of Christ from men who were claiming half-truths. John is proclaiming that Christ has come, as we see here in the first part of chapter 4, meaning he has left somewhere else. If he's coming, where did he come from? Christ was with the Father, and that fact validates his divinity. Not only has he come from the Father, but he has come in the flesh, is what John is also saying. Meaning that he was a real man, has the same nature of us, except without sin. Lastly, Christ was sent to do the work of God. He was sent. 
The measure of someone's ministry is eventually found out if they were not sent by God. It becomes apparent that they went out on their own accord and in their own strength. Men were claiming that Christ had come in spirit at this time in the epistle, the epistle was written. Um, they came in, he came in spirit and not in the flesh, which denies his human nature. They claimed that if he had real flesh, it would discredit his divinity because flesh is evil. Then, eventually, they went out on their own because John was calling them out as they are false prophets. He must call them out for what they are because it is his duty to protect who Christ is and who his church is. This is how we know and experience who has the Spirit of God. If they are false, they leave because they cannot listen to Scripture and truth. It chafes against their flesh and their conscience. They cannot adhere to truth because the truth is not in them. That is what the spirit of the Antichrist is, beloved. It is those who oppose Christ and put themselves in the place of Christ. It's Antichrist opposed to Christ. They do not proclaim the truth from, that comes from above, which is the truth that comes from God by way of the Spirit. This is the truth from outside of us and that is imputed to us. That's the, that's the real truth. Their truth comes from within and is false. Saving faith does not come from within us. It cannot. Their own truth, their own truth takes the place of godly truth and makes them against Christ. All people who reduce Christ, beloved, don't miss this, all people who reduce Christ to what they think he is and what they want him to be is part of the false kingdom. We must know who Christ is from the word of God and word of God alone. In talking about the spirit of the Antichrist, John says, you heard this was coming and now is in the world already. He reminded the church what Jesus referred to in Matthew 7, if you can turn there, Matthew chapter 7. In talking about the Antichrist, John says, you heard this was coming and now is in the world already. So Matthew 7, starting in verse 15. And these are the words of Christ. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them how? By their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." When it comes to Christ, there is no middle ground. A few chapters later in chapter 12, Jesus continues to rebuke the Pharisees, and he says to them, whoever is not with me 
is against me. Failure to follow Jesus wholeheartedly is to be in opposition to him. The spirit of the Antichrist has been in the world and is in the world now. That is why we must always be aware and on guard. We cannot be complacent or lazy in our faith, beloved. The world will tell you, relax. Don't be serious. Don't be so dogmatic about these things. What you're saying is offensive. But we must be bold and courageous in the faith. We must be. We have to be faithful to test and if needed, rebuke imposters. We must understand that we, we are called to preserve, uh, persevere and be diligent. Comfort, beloved, comfort is a slow death. We must prefer sanctification. It's painful, but we must prefer it to comfort. Comfort infects what God commands. At what point in Jesus' ministry does he ever tell us to let our guard down? Relax, be comfortable. When comfort seeps into the church, we get a lot of lazy Christians who are very easily swayed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. This is why John in verse 4 reminds us, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than who is in the world. Spiritual warfare is real, and the battle rages on daily. But in the, in the midst of the battle that we fight, we already know the result. We are conquerors because Christ has already conquered the world. Whatever battles we have, if you are in Christ, victory will come. It's promised. Sometimes there are long seasons of conflict, aren't there? But we are called to stand and fight, to strive and honor Christ in the midst of it. On our own, we are weak. And many times we see the battle that is before us, <laughs> and we want to give up before we even start. It's too vast. But we stand not in our own strength, not in our own power, but the power and strength of God alone. He is already victorious, and therefore, our victory is certain. John encourages and reminds them, you are from God. You are from God. He says, you know this. You know your position in Christ. You know that you're saved. You have this knowledge because it's been given to you. You have experienced real faith and made manifest in your life by love and obedience. Do not let the world rob you of that assurance, we must stand firm and know the truths of Scripture and stand firm in them. <clears throat> Listen to Paul's reminder of this in, in, sec, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. and I'll, I'll read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So those who are are in Christ have been given supernatural insight to the truth. This is what scripture tells us and what we just read with Paul. Not only that, but a love for the truth and the ability to apply wisdom to discern that truth. That is what the mind of Christ is. Okay, then we read in verse 5, chapter 4 of 1 John, it says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. The world has their own wisdom, which, is, which has no concern for God. And it cannot, it cannot receive the spirit of truth. We know that there is a spirit of the world. Whoever has this spirit are of the world. When you see men who go out from us and who claim Christ being embraced by the world, it is proof in and of itself that they are of the world. False doctrine is easily spread, much of the time because it's not offensive. It caters to the world and its vanity. It promotes the love of self and not the love of God. A high view of self and a low view of God. It tells you that you're good enough on your own and you have no need to be saved of anything. Or they promote a false sense of salvation to make you feel good about yourself. As long as you you said a prayer at one time in your life, you're fine. Nothing needs to come out of that. There's no need to change who you are. Just say a prayer. The world will tell you that you don't deserve hell. You're a good person. Good people go to heaven. That's not offensive at all. You deserve to be rich. You deserve to be happy. If you're not happy in that marriage, leave. It's fine. Forget about your commitment. If you're not happy as that gender, change it. If you're not happy, take this pill. It'll make you feel better. Don't get married, it's a trap. Be single, independent, be free. Don't be tied down. Sleep with whoever you want and do it frequently. You are your own person. Do not let another define who you are. You are your own truth. When we turn to the pages of Scripture, beloved, we see that all that is a lie and it's wrong. That is of the world. We are defined by who we are in Christ, not by who we decide we are. We find ourselves in who we are in the pages of God's word. We have fulfillment in serving others and showing each other love. We are happy when the focus is taken off of us and put on Christ, our Lord. All we are and all we have is Christ, not self. We live for God's glory and not our own. Again, in verse 5, it says, they are from the world. We are from God. See, John again separates the world and believers into two camps. They are on one side, and we as believers are on the other. Lawlessness versus love and obedience. Children of God versus children of the evil one. There will always be a tension between the people of God and the world. We need to remember 
that this is not our home and we long to be with God in heaven. That tension will always be there. Being able to test and find out false prophets is, is a victory every time we do it. It is overcoming the world by way of the spirit of truth. By refusing to listen to them, the sheep have conquered them. The false teachers leave when they cannot get a foothold in the church. Just as God is in believers and they in God, so the world is in the evil one and the evil one in it. Remember what we read this morning, Pastor Mark, in in John 10, verses 3 to 5, says, what does the sheep do? They hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know him. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. If the Lord is, the, is your God, you know his voice when he calls. But we know God's voice because we have been given ears to hear. Although we are outnumbered, and the world recklessly runs into sin, we follow Christ. Unbelief is everywhere, and those who remain in the faith are few. But we must be content with those who are faithful, knowing that we all serve the same God who is our Lord and Savior. And in verse 6, it says, Whoever knows God, whoever has salvation, listens to us. How can John so boldly say that? It would be like me saying, if you're saved, you would listen to me. It's pretty bold. But we need to look at Scripture and what John is saying versus what Christ is saying. Let's look to find out. Turn to John 14, verse 15. Now make note, as we go through this, it's almost the same exact verbiage as John is using as what Christ, in the words of Christ are saying here. So John 14, starting in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sound familiar? And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. It's another similarity. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. If you know him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keep, keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me 
will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, and he, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The things I have spoken to you while I am, uh, I am still with you, but the uh, helper, the Holy Spirit from the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to you your, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So John can boldly say, if you know God, you will listen to us because he is saying the same thing Christ did when he was here on earth. It's the same message. Remember, John was there. He heard Christ say these things. John did not come up with this on his own. He repeated the words of Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those are Christ's words. Beware of false prophets. Those are Christ's words. The world listens to the world. My sheep listen to me. Christ's words. This is how John can say, whoever knows God listens to us because he is proclaiming what Christ proclaimed. Then in the negative, whoever is not from God does not listen to us because he is proclaiming what Christ proclaimed as well. If we are to be witnesses of Christ, we must proclaim exactly what the words of Christ are, not our own. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, beloved. Do this boldly and do it accurately. This has a great responsibility to it as well. If you are going to claim that your message is the same message of Christ, you better be sure that it is. Amen? It only takes one small step off the path to start going in the wrong direction. Eventually, that path leads to becoming either a false prophet or an apostate if we do not get corrected and go back on the path. So again, in verse 6, is by this we know, we experience, we practically see the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John ends this verse with another practical example of how to test the spirits. He is referring back to the two points he just made, saying the truth can be discerned from that which is false because some people speak from God and some people do not. Very practical. Beloved, we know what is false because we immerse ourselves in what is true. We need to apply ourselves to Scripture and continue to grow in wisdom. We need to seek out understanding by way of the Spirit and test everything in light of Scripture. It is our duty as believers to be faithful to the Word of God. We need to obey our Lord in what He commands us to do. If we love Him, we will obey Him. I love how plain and direct John is. He wrote this epistle with clear examples of how to know if someone is saved or not. To know who is false and who is true. What we know is valuable. Do not forget that. What we have been given is incredible. Do not take it for granted. We have been given a saving faith, and from that faith comes knowledge of the Trinity. We now have knowledge of the divine things of God. The Spirit dwells in us and gives us wisdom to discern what is true and what is false. Our salvation is complete, and now we are called to live out that salvation in love. 
obedience and with wisdom given to us by the Spirit. Amen? I want to end with a quote from, from John Calvin on, on his commentary of this epistle. And uh, just, just listen, it's um, kind of old English, but we can get it. He, he, it's a warning that he gives when he ends this epistle. It says, by the obedience of faith, we are to prove ourselves to be from God. It is easy to boast that we are from God, and so nothing is more common among us. People proudly boast that they worship God, and yet they just as proudly reject God's word. Or they pretend to believe God's word, and yet when they are brought to the test, they close their ears and will not listen. But to revere God's word is the only true evidence that we fear him. Nor can the excuse made by many people have any place here that they shun the doctrine of the gospel when it is proclaimed to them because they are not fit to form a judgment. Everyone who really fears and obeys God must know him in his word. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you are here today and do not fear God, I call you to repent and believe. We all one day will stand before a holy God in whose presence there can be no sin. If you go to him on your own, you will pay for your own sins. If you go to him and you are in Christ, those sins are paid for, they're atoned for by what his son has done on the cross and not by what we've done. If you do not believe these truths, then you are of the world and you will die with it. Do not ignore the call that you hear today to repent and believe, amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your gospel. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that your people, especially this church, Pacific Hope, will take heart to the truths expounded in your, in your word, that we do not become lazy in our faith, that we are men and women who know and understand the truth, being able to call out things that are false and things that are true. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the love that you've shown us and the grace that we have in you. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Please bless us as we go out today in your name. Amen.